some of you are looking at this and thinking, and thinking that's a little tiny snake. Actually, some of the most poisonous snakes in the world are the smallest snakes in the world. So don't, uh, don't make the mistake that a lot of Americans make of associating size with anything. So, uh, I'm saying it tongue-in-cheek, but the idea of being a snake-handling church is, a, is actually a biblical idea. And I want you to, I want to show you where you can find this. You can find it in lots of places in the Bible, but if you have a Bible with you, uh, and if you don't have a Bible with you, under the chair seats in front of you, there are paperback Bibles, you can grab it. And turn to Genesis chapter 3. It's actually in that paperback Bible, it's page 2. Okay, so we're not going to lose you in this one. And there's a story which, from my experience, a lot of people have heard about this story before and have some kind of rudimentary experience with it, but it's where the first snake is mentioned in the Bible, okay? And coincidentally, it's where the series where we're getting idea of from the Lord's Prayer and the Lord's Prayer, what's one of the lines in the Lord's Prayer that we, we rehearsed it last week? Deliver us from the evil one, right? That's a prayer Jesus taught us to pray. And people, that's at the end of the Lord's Prayer, and you kind of think, people just kind of go through it, and it's just a throwaway line is it's a it's a crucial line because that prayer touches the that prayer as you go through it it touches on every area of our lives and Jesus isn't talking about something that's just theoretical he's talking about something that's very practical and that that actually like I said last week it's one of the big, biggest subjects in the whole bible from beginning to end as, you, as you're going to see here I'm going to read Uh, 19 verses from verse 1 to verse 19 of of Genesis 3. And just want to give you, tell you what a simple point is, and I want to unpack that for a second. So let's start reading in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, Pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. When the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, No, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, and then he goes through the consequences. Because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between You and the woman, between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. 
Your desire will be for your husband, and he'll rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you'll return. I'm going to stop there. There's more. Uh, if you read this story, I mean, there's, there's, an, there's sort of an obvious point. There's a snake in the garden. There's a talking snake in the garden. And I just want to just bring this home to you. There is a snake in your garden. This story is it's true, but it's illustrative of all of our experiences. And a, a garden, in this, in, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, is, is where God placed the first two people. God made everything and he placed them in it. And right in it, in this beautiful place that he made for them, that he set out and prepared and given them ownership of, he, in the middle of this beautiful place, a snake, a talking snake, uh, shows up. So there's a snake in that garden, and there's a snake in our garden, wherever God's put us. There's, there's, there's real spiritual evil. That's what this prayer that we're supposed to pray is about. You understand that? Our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because it's in parentheses, it's not being done. And maybe it's not being done much in my life, and I want that to change. Give me today my daily bread, because he's the provider. And forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. So he's saying, you know, God, you're the provider, you're the king, you're our father. Uh, you're the one that forgives, and that you're the deliverer. You're the protector. You're the only one. And so there's just three questions. And if you have the outline that it's in your program, you can just track along with me. If there's a, here's one thing, if you're a gardener, if there's a snake in your garden, um, most everybody will have three questions. And I think if you understand the implications of this, you should have three questions. These three questions should come to your mind when you think about the fact that something's going on in your life that you might not be as aware of as you possibly could be or should be. First one is, what is the snake doing in my garden? Second, how did I, excuse me, uh, first snake, where did the snake come from? What's it doing in my garden? And third, how do I get it out of my garden? So where did this snake come from? What's it doing in my garden? How did I get it out of my garden if there's a snake in my garden? So there's I would love to, because it fascinates me, to just take you through how the scriptures explain the presence of supernatural evil in the world, where it came from, what it, you know, just that, the whole origin aspect of it. Not, I'm not going to take a long time. We'll, each week, we'll try to, I'll try to sprinkle some more uh, understanding of that in, because you, you, can't, you can't deal with evil unless you, you have a decent understanding of it. I don't mean, we, we, all of us have way too personal of understanding of evil, right? We, we've all uh, waded into that pool uh, up to our necks, if not more. But understanding spiritual evil and what works against us and works on the world that's personal, like we talked about last week, that's something that we really need to grasp. And if you read Genesis 1, because people read this and they read Genesis 1 and go, you know, where's the devil in this? Well, the snake is a spiritual being. He's one of, in the Hebrew, because we don't, we don't read, we read in English, and the translators say, they, they take the word Elohim, which we think is only speaks of God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but it speaks of Elohim, just means spiritual being. And when it's talking about Yahweh, 
the Lord God, the creator, it'll have articles in front of it that say, you know, the, the most high Elohim, the creator Elohim, not referring to all the other spiritual beings that God's made. So in Genesis 1, it says, this is an interesting thing to, to read. In Genesis 1, it says when God was making everything, he, he made the sun and the moon and all the stars. And it says that he made them to govern the heavenlies. And the only, if you read in Genesis 1, the only time the word govern or rule over is used, it's used about the, the sun, moon, and stars, and us who are supposed to rule, human beings are supposed to rule over the creation. And if you go through the Old Testament, you find all these references to that description because there's that over and over and over, there's this three-tiered world. There's the heavens and there's the earth and there's the oceans. And the heavens, there's God and there's all these spiritual beings and they interact with us and they have a purpose. And they have a, they have a purpose to rule in the heavenly realms. And what's happened is you, as you read closer and you start putting all these stories together is spirits who were created to have some kind of rule over the heavens and over the, the heavens over the earth abandoned that and began to get involved in a realm that they had no authority to be part of and it created all this chaos. And so we see the snake and, and these spirit beings can inhabit and speak through people and they can inhabit and speak through creation. And we see this the snake is not a snake. It is a snake, but it's a snake that speaks. And when, uh, when Adam and Eve were looking at this, the, the, the strange thing about this dialogue is, is they didn't stop at any point and go, we've never heard an animal speaking before. This is curious. You know, we wonder what we should do with this. And why is this animal know so much about what God has said to us? And that's this picture we get about these spiritual beings. Uh, like if you go to Psalm 82, it describes God being uh, presiding over this heavenly council. And you hear him, like in the book of Job, the sons of God are gathering to talk to God. All these spiritual beings, and there's this picture that shows us God made everything and he created realms to share dominion with. That God wanted to partner. He can do everything. He doesn't need anyone. And he makes beings and gives them dominion and says, I want you to partner with me. And, and you see Genesis 1, him doing that. And the sun and the moon and the stars are literally, you know, physical bodies, even though stars are gaseous, the sun's a gaseous uh, planet, essentially, it points to something beyond it. Just like human beings bear the image of God, and we point to God beyond us. Now, one of the hardest things when we talk about this is there is so much skepticism about talking about spirit, the spiritual world and spiritual evil. It's just like uh, I, I, one of my favorite podcasts I listen to is some guys uh, from the Bible podcast. And these guys are, uh, Tim Mackey in particular, he's, a, he's, a, he's an amazing scholar. And I heard him recently when he was talking about this as I was going listening to one after another. He just said, you know what, six months ago I realized this stuff freaks me out and I, I've avoided even studying it. Now this is a guy that teaches at a seminary. And he, what he's explaining is his Western bias. That the worldview of our Western culture is a worldview, in, in a weird way, that's, that's gullible to spiritual reality and open to almost anything, and skeptical at the same time. A person in one apartment building is a, a complete 
naturalist who says there's nothing else but me. My life is an accident. And right next to him, there's a person that has a statue of Buddha in the next apartment and little candles around it. And they have the, 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 a cross there. And they have the Star of David. And they're just, you know, they're, they're doing everything they can to kind of make it work because they know there's something real out there. I don't know if I accept religion, organized religion. So I'm just going to kind of pick and choose. And those people are neighbors right next to each other. And the beauty of what science has given us doesn't mean we don't have to realize that there's something beyond just the physical stuff of which we're made of. That's, that's what the Bible stresses over and over and over. Now, I don't think we're going to go a long time before, as we prayed last week, you guys are going to begin to run into spiritual evil in a way that you, that you can't explain. We prayed last week over as many people as wanted to that God would begin to teach us about this, that he would be our shepherd. He would show us the things that we really need to know. And, you know, maybe some of you, you know, entered into that space a little bit nervous, uh, uncertain, you know. Uh, maybe some of you went in, yes, I'm going into that. That's not necessarily the best way to go into it. It's something real, it's something powerful, it's something dangerous. But it's, it's there, and we, we can't ignore it. And a lot of us have tried to. And... If you read the book from beginning to end, you can't help but see that this is something that people over centuries found to be credible and something to, to grapple with. So what the snake is doing in our garden, uh, because this snake really seems like he's, he's mean, right? This isn't like a snake that comes in and says, hey, can I help you with your homework? You know, have you been trying to figure out how to, you know, get all your, your stereo components to work together? I can help you do that. <laughs> you know, do you need investment advice? Right? The, the snake doesn't come like that. The snake comes up, and it's like he is out for them. And, I, you know, you go, where does that kind of malevolence come from? And I, this is, this is a, a, a weird little story that came to my mind. When I was in sixth grade... You know, when you go from fifth grade to sixth grade, primary school to middle school, it's like a whole different world. And I went to a new school, and there were, there were two middle schools being built, and I had to go to one for six months for a semester while the other one was being finished. And that my first day, I'm walking down the halls, and I've got all these books at the end of the day, and I'm going to my locker, you know, and i got my little locker card on top of it. And you know when you're walking down the hall, and the lockers are against the hall, and kids are walking, it's just like a maze of rats. And people are, you know, bumping into each other, and I'm walking down the hall here, and I'm just this skinny, uh, kind of insecure kid, and I'm looking, and the weirdest thing happened to me is I'm walking down the hall, carrying my books, I, you know, there's traffic going both ways, and, and people are walking right, right? Even in sixth grade, we figured it out. We can't drive yet, but we've learned. You walk to the right, and you're trying not to bump into the people who are putting stuff in and out of their locker and disengaging and entering the traffic lanes, but I'm walking along, and I see this kid walking the other way, and I don't know who he is, but something deep in my reptilian brain, a warning system goes off. And I just notice this kid. I have no idea why. <laughs> I, I, this stands out to me in the strangest way. And, and I, as I'm walking along with the kids in front of me, and I'm already starting to get a little taller, I just kind of move a little further to the right because he's coming along. I move a little further to the right. And he's, he's coming the other way, and he moves a little bit more the other way. And so I'm, I'm, I'm starting to go in and out of the people, right? And I see, you know, how you, you know, if your mind works this way, I can see we're going to intersect. And I'm, I'm kind of trying not to look at him, right? I don't know where I picked that up. Don't look him in the eye. And, I'm caring, and all of a sudden, he comes right up to me, and he just shoulders me with his shoulder into my shoulder. The books go everywhere. They're hitting people, you know, and I'm just mortified. And I'm trying to pick my books up, you know, and I'm feeling really awkward. The sixth graders are the youngest kids in the school, and you're in the low totem pole. I'm new, on and all my own personal insecurities. 
And he stops and he goes, watch out where you're going or I'm going to, you know, do something to you that you won't enjoy. And I'm just, I just keep my head down, right? I'm just putting my books up. You know, a couple people kind of kick the book off their feet. And, you know, it's like, wasn't, wasn't like a lot of community feelings going on at that moment. <laughs> so I just get my books and you know, I just try to hustle down, looking in the lockers. I finally get it and I put it in, you know. And I, this happens to me with this kid that week several more times. When I, not when I have my books, he just, I've never seen him before. I don't know who he is. I mean, who's that, that I, like, did I beat his little brother up in the playground at one time? I don't know what it was, but this guy had it in for me. So I, on Friday, he did it again, and I just said to him, like I'm looking, like Rick's that guy. And this guy's name is Mark Hudson. I still remember his name. I said, I don't know who he is. I, I said, okay, after school on the tetherball court, I'll see you there. You know, that's what you do, right? <laughs> like, don't forget your guns kind of thing. And we, you know, and uh, it was right in the hall. I mean, and, 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 and uh, several kids go, fight, fight. Now, this is like right after lunch, so it wasn't going to happen then. But as soon as school was out, man, I walked over there, and I didn't know what was going to happen. I could have got my butt kicked for all I knew because <laughs> he was kind of a husky kid. And uh, we kind of square off, and there's all these kids. You know, you guys remember that in school? Whenever there's a fight, everybody, like, this is like MMA right there. And so we kind of get up each other, and we start pushing, and then we start graveling, you know. And we're rolling around the asphalt, and our, our clothes are all scratched up, you know. We're kind of beat up. And at the end of it, we haven't done any real damage, but we're just tired, <laughs> right? There's just no, we don't, you know, you just at this point, you're just looking at each other, sweating, and your elbows are all scraped up from rolling around on the, on, on, on the asphalt because it was a tetherball court and it was just hard asphalt. And so we kind of like looked at each other and went, both of us said, yeah, that'll teach you <laughs> kind of moment. And the weirdest thing happened, uh, I'd see him come down the hall and he was kind of friendly to me and, and I was kind of relieved, so I was friendly to him, you know. And then me and Mark became really good friends. It was the strangest thing. We never talked about what that thing happened in the tetherball court. What, what was the whole deal about you? You know, was this a territorial thing? Was that like, were you like peeing and marking off your territory? I, you know, don't get near my, you know, locker. We never did any of that. And he just became this nice guy. Okay. Now, that's not going to happen to you with the devil. All right. <laughs> You're not going to tangle with him, and he's suddenly going to go, you're such a wonderful person, why have I been bothering you? You know, I'm just going to, let's hang out. It's not going to ever be like that. He is in your garden to mess you up. And there's three things, if you look on the outline, there's three things. He's there to, ga- to cast doubt on God's goodness. That's what you see in this story. He casts doubt on God's goodness. That's not all he does, but that's a primary thing. Well, you can see it in the passage. I'll, I'll show you. He is there. He's in your garden to wreck your life and wreck God's good creation. And third, he's there to gain God's power that's been given to us. That's what he's there for. That's what he ended up getting when Adam and Eve went along with his ploy is all the authority God gave them, it shifted over to him, and now they're under him. Because here's the interesting thing. If you begin to read this story, it's a very clever narrative device. Right before this, it says God made all the animals, and then he made us to rule over the animals. So here, an animal is coming to speak to the humans. And then when the humans listen to the animal, immediately they begin acting like animals. In fact, when Cain kills Abel, well, Cain is kind of getting angry at his brother Abel. Do you remember what God said to him? You know, so you can't say it, honey. We were talking about this. Remember what God said to, to Cain? He warned him, and he said what? What? No, it didn't say knocking. It said sin is 
crouching at the door. And you must master it. And that word is the same word it says the stars were supposed to master the heavens. It's, it's this thing where we're supposed to exercise authority over things. And one of them is sin becomes almost personal. It becomes almost alive. It becomes animate. And when Adam, and here's the thing, when, when Cain and Abel have this tragic moment, it says that Cain kills Abel out in the field where the animals are. And you can see this over and over and over through the Bible. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar gets judged by God in the Old Testament? where he becomes really proud, even after God, he's begun to like, believe uh, in, to some degree in the God of Israel, the, the one true God, he's starting to realize that maybe I'm not a God because all the emperors in those times, all the despots, they all believed they were like a son of God. And when God said, if you don't repent of this, I'm going to discipline you, what happened to him? Do you remember what happened? He kind of lost his mind. And he went out and lived in the fields, and his hair grew long, and it says he ate grass like the animals for a number of years. And that's what God said here about Adam. He says, because you've listened to your wife and eaten from the tree from which I command you not to, he says, I will produce, uh, uh, the, the soil is going to be, not going to be working right, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And that's the same phrase as God said the animals could eat the plants of the field, the grass, the grass. So when we listen to the serpent and its seed, and and anything the serpent speaks through, which could be anything, we end up becoming less than we're meant to be. We become more like animals than like the image of God. And can you see that? Can you see like the territorialism? The, uh, at our home group the, the other night, we were just talking about this with one of the guys. He was just grieving. He said, man, I can't believe how people can't get along anymore. About the simplest things, it's, people don't just disagree anymore. People are like, go to war. And it's just tragic. And it's like animals. We get territorial. We, we should look at someone who looks different than us and go, he's an image bearer. She's an image bearer. They're an image bearer like me. Whatever their skin color, whatever their ethnicity, whatever their culture, they, they are image bearers of God, but we don't. We look at each other now. And we just judge each other. And we uh, consider other, we find all these reasons why we can't respect those people. And it's this animal-like behavior. We get reduced, our, our humanity gets reduced. And this story tells us that the, the serpent and his seed plays a role in that. And, you know, some of us want to write that off and say, hey, humans can mess things up without... <laughs> any counseling from uh, talking serpents, that's true, but it's there in the story, and Jesus took it seriously. Now, when, here's, here's what the serpent said to the woman. Did God really say, when he came to her and said, did God really say this? Did God say blah, blah, blah? And then he said, when she said, well, here's what God told us. Then she kind of muffed it a little bit. Then he said, oh, you're not going to die. You know, no. Okay, God didn't say it. But then what he said isn't reliable. Okay. So questioning that he, you, you heard him right or he spoke right. And then when he spoke, it wasn't reliable. Because you're not going to die. There's no way. And God warned him, the day you do this, you'll die. Third, he says, and God knows. This is the This is the... The hook, this is where it's, it, the, 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 the hook is set. God knows if you do this, if you eat what he told you not to eat, you're going to become like him. And what's the truth? Well, we, we've said this before. What's the truth already that they ignore? 
when he offers him, he says, you can be like God. What do we know? They're the only ones that are already like God. They're the only image bearers there are. And this is what religion does, is religion tells us you got to do something to be. And that's what grace undermines. So, he's saying God's holding back on you. And the, the enemy's best efforts are put in to try to get you not to trust God. Not to really believe he's good and he has good intentions for you. And, and what his will is will be good for you. Even if you disagree with it. Because here's what happens. Look what it says. Uh, let me find it. Oh, hold it. So when we have this sense of, do I really doubt God? We, when you're reading this narrative, it starts off with God making everything. And he made this beautiful habitation for them. It says he made a garden. You know, in, in England, they call gardens a yard. I mean, uh, what we call our yard, they call it gardens. And a garden, uh, like, like if you go to Rick and Mel's house, their backyard is like better homes and gardens. I mean, there's these. It's just amazing to walk back there, and I'm sure it's like crazy upkeep. <laughs> it's just, you go, wow. This is like in, you walk into the house, nice house, you walk back there, and you go, whew. It's like a little haven, right? But that's a lot of work. To do that's a lot of work. And one of the things the Bible says is that, like, God gives us things. And he does all the work. And then he says, now, you take care of this. You keep it up. Over and over, the parables describe this rich man who, and describing God's relationship with us, this rich man gives these amazing gifts to people and just says, take care of it. And, you know, give me my proper And he does all the hard work, and he just starts them out in business with the best possible situation. And so we're supposed to come away with that, thinking, this guy's good, and he's asking us to partner with him, and he's giving us all these capacities, and he's coming alongside us and talking with us and explaining to us how to make this work. And, you, you know, you look at it over and over and over, and you see... Even when they fail, what happens? What did he say? The day you do this, you're going to die. What happened the day that they did it? Did they physically die? No, there was another kind of death that entered in the world there. But he came with grace with them. There were some consequences, but he came with grace. You can't read that and not see that God's good. And so... The enemy comes, he wants to wreck our lives, and what this is about, this temptation, is he says to you, and you, and you, and you, don't trust God and his good wisdom, figure it out for yourself. And so here's what it says Eve did. If you look, it says, she saw the fruit, say fruit tree, it was good, it was pleasing to her eye. Up to that point, God was the only one who said what was good. Now she's saying what's good. It says it looked good to her. And it was desirable for something that she wanted. That God was giving her. But now she could get it without God. She could like, bypass God. And God said... You know, if you do that, if you go that way, you're going to die. And so people have asked over and over, I've had people ask me this. Why, is, why does God tempt us like that? He puts that tree in the middle of the garden, right? The middle of the garden. It's like you're walking across the garden. It's not like on the furthest edge. It's right in the middle of the garden. Because the truth is, you're going to confront that over and over and over. It's just a part of life. Are you going to listen to God or are you going to go your own way? Are you going to map out your own reality? Are you going to find your own truth? All that stuff. And we have to settle that, not just once. You know what I mean? And every time we go our own way, it 
unleashes chaos, just like it did here, every time. You can, you can follow the Lord over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and your life can flourish in small and great ways. And then all of a sudden, you go, I see this thing, and it looks good. And there's a desire in me for that. And it will get something I want. It will, it will advance some goal I have. And then I reach out and take it. And I eat it, and I give it to other people, because that's what we always do. It's never just a private thing. People say, I have my private truth. Nobody does that. Everybody is an evangelist for their private truth. They are. I've had friends tell me, John, you know, your truth isn't my truth. And, but, and then we'll, we'll go back and forth uh, privately on Facebook where they're trying to get me to buy into their truth. <laughs> they go, don't put your truth on me. Or sometimes, don't put your truth on my body. And then they turn around and they try to put their truth on me. And it, that's just the way we are. We're, we're hardwired that way. It's not a bad thing. It's just real. So this woman did this. And it just crashed and burned everything. And the tree was there because they were new. And even though, you know, who knows how physically mature they were. But they were just children who were having to learn how to operate this beautiful world that God gave them. And at that moment, maybe they were wrestling with something. And they weren't waiting for God who says would always come at least in the cool of the day. And the enemy came along and said, hey, let me suggest this to you. You know, is God not listening to your prayers? Why don't you just go, go your own way? Live life on your own terms. And it's just an insidious thing because we need it. And we always find a way to justify what we want. I mean, have you ever read some of the... Uh, rationalizations for different kinds of philosophies that you know are just crazy. They're just, they're just crazy. They're certifiable. They're, they're mean. They're destructive. But people have these manifestos that weave together this logic, and when you read it, you go, wow, I see why you think that way. But it's built on all these terrible premises, and so the whole thing's a house of cards. But people don't ask questions about that. And so they, they're drawn into these things that are really destructive. And it's going your own way because at the end it's saying, do something that God says is, is not good. And it doesn't lead to, to flourishing of people. And there's times but you go, well, I have these desires inside me for certain things. We cannot ultimately listen to our desires and say they're always lined up with God in a broken, fallen world. I'm going to avoid saying anything political at this moment <laughs> because I determined not to. <laughs> so how do we get this snake out of our garden? All right. How do we get this snake? Now, I just said political. I don't want you guys in your minds to go anyplace when I said that. Okay. I'm not being political when I'm saying this. I know some of you, it's just everything's political, but it's not here. Stop that, Jay. That's not an amen line. So, you get the snake out of the garden by not doing what Adam and Eve did, okay? Don't do what they did. First, don't dialogue with the evil one. Dialogue with God. You can have inner dialogues with a voice and a desire that, that's inviting you towards something that you know, I know that's not good. You can't dialogue with it. You dialogue with God. Second, don't agree with the evil one. Eve, at a certain point, it doesn't, it doesn't state she agreed with him, but he was saying certain things that she had never agreed with before. And there was a point where she began to look at the tree differently after what the talking snake had said to her than she had before. And she began to agree with him. Don't do that. Third, don't lean on your own understanding. Because the, our understanding, don't even do an inner dialogue on your own head. Dialogue with God and dialogue with other people that you trust that are wise. 
and get it out. Get, you know, whatever you're struggling with, no matter how gnarly it may seem and embarrassing it may seem, talk to someone about it. And if someone does that with you, don't judge them. Just listen to them. Just listen. They're sharing something they're really struggling with, and they don't know what to do with it. Because if you do, you will, if you, if you judge anybody for any horrible thing you may think that they're talking about and they're considering, you're not going to help them resolve that situation by judging them. You won't. It may really be wrong, but you don't have to say that. They've already internally thought this might, this is probably not a good thing. And it's probably even hard for them to even verbalize it and bring it up. And it doesn't mean you agree with them. You just have to give people a safe place to be able to talk about these things. And then you slowly walk with them and position them to, to bring that to Jesus and connect with him. And he'll speak to them. He'll help them. You've got to be willing to walk alongside them with it. And Jesus, when he found a snake in his garden, here's what he did. Now, he, huh, the book of James wasn't written at that point. But James 4, 7 says this. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resi- excuse me. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. When, when Satan came and tempted Jesus... He didn't give in to Satan's ploy. He submitted himself to the Father. Didn't say he did, but you can tell by his actions and his thinking, his responses, he was submitting himself to God. Now, that is a really hard thing to do when the tree and the fruit and everything looks really good. And inside you, you have a hunger for it. To submit yourself to God when the voice is saying to you, take and eat. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's good. And there's something in you that's agreeing with that. And another part of you is saying, that's wrong. You're going you're gonna to find, you know, some tension over that inside you. And you have to choose at that moment. God's inviting you. Come and submit yourself to me. Follow Jesus. This is what Christians are. We're followers of Jesus. Jesus is hungry. Satan's going, turn these stones into bread. But the Father hadn't given him permission to do that. He was fasting. He had other priorities. And he just said, I'm not doing it. And he was, at the end of a 40-day fast, he was starving. And we think sometimes, if we deny ourselves certain things that we're hungry for, we're going to die. We're not. There's lots of things that God says, don't do it, that if you abstain from doing it, you're not going to die. You won't. Plenty of people have wrestled with whatever you're wrestling with, and when they didn't do it, they didn't die. You die when you do something that's unwise. You die, and just we see here, we have a ripple effect that touches all kinds of people way beyond our lives when we choose to live life on our own terms. Because we are connected together in ways that a lot of Americans don't like to recognize. Just like Cain didn't like to recognize that he was his brother's keeper. Our neighbors, we're, uh, we owe them our love. They're image bearers. We have responsibilities, even though each of us also have responsibilities for ourselves. But we affect one another in profound and mysterious and very real and tangible ways. And we, we break the heart of God when we choose foolishly. So, we have to submit to him, and I'm not going to talk a lot about this right now because we'll get into this later in other talks. But resisting the devil, that word resist there means to stand against, to oppose, uh, with, like with a stridency and an energy. Remember what Jesus said he was going to do? He was going to turn our hearts into these hearts that are intolerant of evil. And you go, well, but John, you just said when people share their struggles, I'm, I'm supposed to tolerate it. No, you're not supposed to tolerate it. You're supposed to be understanding and empathetic with their struggle as a human being. That they need help. They need someone to walk alongside them. Because the shepherd, when he sees the sheep misbehaving, doesn't just take the rod and whack. Yeah, keep doing that. Whack. You know, whack. He doesn't do that. He, he goes over and picks up the sheep, this is what shepherds literally do, picks up the sheep that's wandering, puts it on his shoulders and brings it back to the flock and then keeps it near him. Now, there's a point where if that sheep keeps wandering, 
He will break its leg, and then he'll carry it around until the leg heals, and it's bonded to him, and then it's safe. And if it keeps wandering and wandering and leading the other sheep away, he will kill it. They will have lamb stew. <laughs> but that's like way at the end of a process of breaking all four legs and carrying that sheep around and bearing with its, you know, wandering uh, tendencies. And he says, if we resist evil appropriately, the enemy one will flee. And, and the Greek word means run away like a scared rabbit. It literally means that. It means they will run away as fast as they can. Now, it infers that he'll run away eventually. Okay, so when you resist evil, you're going to have to maintain that stance for a while. And that's why you need allies and people to come alongside you. And you need to verbalize the stuff you're struggling with. And then, like, that's, that's the whole premise of AA. That's why AA, in many ways, is really successful because people who are struggling go with other people and they help them walk through it. And, and, they, and a lot of times they're just white-knuckle it for a little while. But eventually they start really getting to the bottom of what they're struggling with. And they talk, I have friends in, in, in recovery groups and they say, man, you hear some hairy, hairy stuff in those groups. But you see people coming alongside them appropriately and helping them. And they challenge them. I mean, there's some real straight talk that goes on. But here's the thing. Close with this. Now, the way God works with us when, when we hear truth is he always starts small and particular. And we're thinking, we got to clean everything up. You know, like when Kathy says, clean the house, my mind immediately thinks it is an all-day, soul-killing experience. <laughs> right? But Kathy's just going, honey, I just want to get all the stuff in your corner of our bedroom. Would you clean that up? That's what you, I mean, she's thinking of cleaning up, right? But I'm thinking, no, it's like everything. I've got to clean the, the fireplace. We have a joke about that, you know. Did you clean the fireplace? Because that's what goes to my head when she says, can we do some house cleaning? And she, our house is pretty clean. Until you walk in our bedroom, and my, you know, my bedroom looks like a homeless shelter. And one little part of it. And she just wants me to clean it up because she walks in there and goes, Gosh, well, God is like Kathy, not like me. He, when he brings truth into your life, he starts in, the, in a corner of your life, sometimes not the most comfortable corner of your life, but a particular corner, and he says, let me in that. Give that to me. And it's like, no. And that's, when, you, when you have that kind of response, that's why he picked that corner. Okay, but here's the thing. Dick's corner is different than Yeming's corner. And everybody doesn't have one particular corner that God's got his eye on. Because everybody's really different. We're at different places. So I want to ask you, I want to invite you to respond to the Spirit. Because the Spirit is resting on our lives, and when the Word comes, it's just like Genesis 1. The Spirit's there, and then when we hear the Word, it comes and it does this creative work in our hearts when we say yes, when we trust, when we respond. And it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable. So, is there anything, when, when I so skillfully describe the woman in the tree, Nobody thought that was funny. Okay. When I described the little interaction between the woman and the tree and all the emotional stuff that was going on in her heart as she looked at that tree, is there anything in your life where that feels familiar? Like if, is God really thinking about that thing, that area in my life. That's an area that I kind of guard and that I have control over. Maybe you even have a little sign, you know, to other people, no trespassing. Because you would never bring it up in, in, in your Bible study or to your Christian friends. 
it's got a no trespassing sign. And if people even get close to it, you know, you're like the, you're like the dog in the yard, you know, or you just run the other way. Where is that in your life right now? And it doesn't have to be, like I said, this huge, big, bad, just shameful thing. It could be something very small, but it, it's something significant. So I want to ask you just for a second, I'm going to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit, like we did last week, that the Good Shepherd would come to you and he would just, like, like shepherds would do, is when the sheep comes into the, sh- into the pen for, for the night, the shepherd would put his hands on the sheep or his rod and he would just, they would walk under it and it would expose their back because they can't get their back and that's where a lot of times bad stuff would get on them. And he would just look as they come in and he, oh, this sheep, there's some bugs there. I want to ask you to go under the shepherd's rod just for a minute and let him speak to you. And don't think <laughs> that he won't speak very directly and, and even to a point of awkwardness for you. Because the way I'm talking, it sounds like I'm just soft on sin. And I'm not. I'm serious as anything about it. But being legalistic and hard-nosed about sin, I, I lived in that world for a long time. And, and my friends, what, what we learned was it just went underground. We just learned to do things that were, you know, we learned to play the game. We kept all this stuff inside and never told people about. And I just found, I, don't, I just don't think that's what the church is supposed to be like. Because you see Peter all the time. He's talking to Jesus. And Peter's mouthing off to Jesus. Peter's saying, no, Lord. <laughs> right? He's, he's like getting in Jesus' face. He's doing all kinds of wrong things. But he's the perfect model, not of the wrong behavior, but his honesty. How he lived his life honestly. And, and then Jesus could, could deal with the stuff. So, just close your eyes for a second, get comfortable, I'm going to just pray a short prayer, just ask the Good Shepherd through the Holy Spirit to just speak to you. Is there an area in your life where Jesus is inviting you to follow him, to yield to him, to yield to his wisdom, and to begin to go on a journey of following him in that area of your life? Lord, uh, thank you for your word. And we just have to admit that uh, there's a, there is a snake in our garden and we've listened to him and we've been persuaded and followed him far too often. And now we hear your voice inviting us to someplace different. So come, Holy Spirit. As we draw near to you, we ask for you to just expose Uh, our own hearts to us. And we welcome you to come and and speak, just like the enemy has spoke to us. Would you speak? Or would you invite us into your life now as we wait? And cause your Holy Spirit to show us where uh, you're inviting us to grow and change.